In the work of men that we do, we believe in standards. No standards, you have nothing. And the way to be your best self is commit to impeccability. I think we should all stand up for our country. Man's got to be free. You've got to be able to have the tools to take care of yourself. And a knife is one of those tools, period. You shared with me how to be the type of man that could build something this magnificent. There's a lot of folks walking around with one of my knives. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior. And on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to the Sovereign Man Podcast, where we aim to make men masculine again. I'm your man, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an amazing guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is the one, the only, the legendary Daryl Ralph. Daryl is a knife maker. This man has a company that makes some of the most incredible knives on the face of the planet. I got one of them in my hand right now. Look at this thing. Isn't it beautiful? And uh, I'm super excited to have him on the show. Welcome to the show, Daryl. Hey, thanks a lot, Nikki. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. Um, so, Daryl, I've been excited to have you on the show after I bought this knife. Because first time I held it in my hand, I knew that this was a, a serious, serious piece of equipment. because. This knife is made with the best materials. I mean, I believe this titanium handles and you're using the highest end steel. The, uh, um, the tolerances around the fit and finish of this thing are absolutely perfect. It, it, it's designed to do work. Looks great, but it's designed to do work. And I thought absolutely. to myself, bringing a man on the show who is a knife maker would be a perfect thing for men because knife is man's oldest tool. And I thought we could have a, a great conversation on that. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us your story? Because I'm I'm curious, how'd you how'd you come to get involved with becoming a knife maker? Oh goodness gracious. Um I had a a uh, contract manufacturing shop in Columbus, Ohio at one time. Mm -hmm. uh, I had just got remarried um, and my present wife or my current wife, as she calls it, she hates me to say that, but I do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> she had uh, two stepsons, or I have two stepsons through her. And uh, one of them was a automatically he was a knife freako. I mean, I, I couldn't have stepped into a better place. He was 14 at that time. And uh, he knew about making kit knives at that time. And I, I liked what I do, did for a living, but you know, I needed something, a more creative outlet. And uh, so he had me go get, uh, there was a place called Colville Knives at one time, right up near where I lived within yeah, five miles. And uh, we went over to Coval Knives, picked up a couple of knife kits, and then we put them together. 
And at that point, I kind of, uh, it was like, it was like an inspiration, you know, uh, something clicked. Uh, my, my heritage comes from Vikings. So Irish Viking cool. people like knives. Okay. And hatchets and big hammers and dragging sure. women by hair. And, Oh, did I say that? Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we're cavemen. Yeah. Like that. There you go. Um, uh, we're cave kind of people in a, in a, in a, in a sense, you know, we're salt of the earth type people that like to figure things out, but we also can make anything happen pretty much if we want to. Uh, so it, when that happened, um, from that point, there was a doctor here in, in Columbus, Ohio, uh, that introduced me to Tim Zawada out of Michigan, which is a, he's a, He's still forging knives today. He's won every award on the planet. He don't even go to shows anymore. I mean, he goes, he wins the award and he just quit going after a while, not to be arrogant or anything. I mean, you know, that, that was just not his scene pretty much. Uh, but uh, he taught me how to forge actually him. And, and then after that, uh, I, that was where I started forging knives. So I forged all my first knives, all my switchblades, um, switchblades turned me on. Uh, so I, and mechanically I could do them because of my engineering background, engineering and CNC background. I went to, um, in my life, I've probably been to eight, uh, uh, CNC CAD schools, uh, because my shop was all CNC. And we had 20 guys, and all we did was do uh, contract manufacturing for air, aircraft parts and every submarine parts, everything you can imagine. So just for the uh, benefit of the listener, Daryl, would you just uh, explain what that acronym CNC stands for? Computer-aided machining, compute numerical control is what it was, CNC, uh, computer numerical control, and CAD is computer-aided drawing. So, that, so that, um, that, that, that's pretty sophisticated work, right? To work with that type of technology. Yes. Yeah. And solid modeling, all of that. Over my years, that's what I've been doing. I solid model all of my knives first. And then we wow. make them work on the screen. And then we go out and we know they work. And then we go out and we make them. So like in they're a 3D really, form? Are they, are they, are they yeah. like, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, they're 3D. They're actually that's awesome, 3D. Man. And then actually I send them down and get a, uh, get them printed, 3d printed just for the wow. fun of it to check them out and make sure everything's perfect. And then, uh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. It's fun, man, because you, you get to, uh, create and then you get to feel what you create and make sure it's right. Change the little things. And then you get to go out to the machine and make it, uh, off the machinery, though, Joe, I want to say this because everybody believes that, oh, you say you got to do is go to the machine and then they're ready to go. No, we have to, you know, man, is, there's still human. There's a human factor you got to have there. You got to know how to finish everything. Everything has to be put together properly. Uh, and uh, we hand grind all of our blades. Uh, and we hand fit and finish every piece and every part. It's just that we wanted to eliminate the mechanics of it. We wanted it right first and then do the finish work, which is the artistic part. And that's the way we make everything uh, to this day. I mean, we've evolved and, and made uh, changes, but that's how we make everything to this day. But that was where I started through the years. I, had, I, I sold my machine shop, my big contract shop, uh, 
And then I actually started in my garage on Livingston Avenue in Columbus, Ohio. It was a one and a half car garage. Bought a few little machines that were benchtop CNCs and put them in my little shop. And I started making switchblades. From there, it went to uh, more titanium tactical stuff, which is in my so I get better. Uh, a lot of art knives with pearl and ivory and gold and hand working all the you know I hand inserted the gold in the backs of the knives and file worked them and polished them and did all that work. But that was not my. I figured out after a while that was not my forte. I I liked it, but I didn't like it enough to continue with that. It was. I wanted to make an everyday night for every man basically is where I wanted to, I wanted to hit a bigger population than just collectors. I wanted to hit guys like you that pick the knife up. Now I know you'll go use that knife. You, know, you should have no fear of using my knives. I want everybody to use my knives. They're made to use. Amen. You can make them beautiful, pull them out all you want, make all the pretty stuff you want, but you can still go out and actually hammer that thing into a tree and use it. You know, it's, it's made that way. I don't make non-functioning knives. So to me, uh, uh, form and function is first and then, you know, fit and finish to, to make everybody happy. But my son got me into it. My 14-year-old my son started me into that path. And I, I don't know what it was, but it was almost like a godsend. So when did you sell your machine shop? I, that was back in 89 or 90. Uh, wow. 1989, 89 or 90, something like that. I had uh, a couple of shops during that time. Uh, during my lifetime, uh, I worked for several uh, shops around town. Uh, a lot of it was consulting work, um, uh, CNC consulting. Uh, CNC was young at that time. It was in young years, you know, and I knew about it. I It, it was kind of like it was indulged in me somehow. I don't know. I like robotics. I guess that's what it is. Uh, and uh, so I did a lot of consulting, and then I just decided to start a shop. I got into that, and I kind of liked it. But, you know, managing 20 people every day, it was more of a manager's job than it was hands-on. I like the hands-on thing. That really gets me off, you know. Uh, I, I was just up in my shop here, up the hill. I got a 3,000-foot square shop on up the hill. Uh, and uh, in that shop, our new Ohio shop, uh, I went up and worked on some uh, – what they call drip feeding to a machine, make sure everything would work for Monday morning for my machine, my uh, shop supervisor who will be working on that. But, you know, I went up, I know how to do it. He don't know how to do it. I want to get it right. I'll go up and show him Monday morning and we'll be off to the races. But that's what I do every day. I do programming, solid modeling, uh, CNC. Uh, I write programming uh, and plus I design new stuff and then work on my uh, web presence, uh, marketing and such. So... That's my day. So when did Daryl Ralph Knives become a going concern? You know, where you had enough momentum to say, yeah, I got a company here. Uh, about 1993. Wow. So it took, you, it took you a while to get it going. Well, yeah, uh, I sold my shop in 89, 90, and I, 
I was, I was, my wife had a very good job. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. She had a very, very good job. That's she good. supported me. I was basically, I put a couple of ads at that time in Blade Magazine, and I had plenty of orders to make this and that, you know, little things that I was making. Uh, so I had a ways to, to sustain. Uh, but probably in 1993 is when I started selling really high end you know, anywhere from two thousand uh, to $10,000 switchblades. Wow. I forged all the material. I did all the gold work. I did all of everything. I did it all myself. And like I said, I enjoyed that. Uh, but I didn't enjoy it enough to make that my, it wasn't, it was part of what I needed to do, but I needed to get back to, um, knives for for men to use every day or or uh humans to use every day i wanted to stay in a knife that was functional but you know uh like a wolf in sheep's clothing you'll take it out and wow that's beautiful but that thing will hurt you if you need take care of not hurt yeah. you but you can use it for uh, self-defense if you need to absolutely or, you can in a bad situation where you need to uh cut somebody out of a car or whatever you need, you're going to do with it. So that, that was my, in 1998, that's when I figured that out. Uh, I taught at the ABS school down there. I taught at NRA schools uh, across wow. the country, uh, teaching classes on how to grind blades, how to make switch blades, how to uh, make Damascus, how to all of that realm of you know uh inlaying gold into back spines and file working and uh, working with pearls and ivories and teaching classes i taught classes for the both all of those folks and then about 1998 like i said i made my first actual titanium tactical style knife i guess they call them uh dress tactical it was called the crate k-r-a-i-t and it was a little knife that i come out with and Got reviews in Blade Magazine, pretty great, you know, and uh, I lucked out there, you know, I had some Blade Magazine exposure, Tactical Knives, Knives Illustrated, all those knives, were, all those magazines were big at that time. And got a lot of, I got a couple of front covers here and there, you know, and some articles and all those things and, and guns and, what, guns and ammo, I guess it was. I got a lot of, a lot of chatter that way. But uh, it, at that time, and then two years after that, 1998, um, I ran into uh, Camillus Cutlery. Uh, yeah. There was a couple of sales guys, Will Fennell and Anthony Lombardo. Uh, that's, they got me involved with Philip Gibbs, who is now the production manager for AG Russell Knives. And he, he was the production or the uh, new product manager and design manager at Camillus Cutlery at that time in 1990. Uh, or, I'm sorry, in the year 2000. And uh, I got into licensing my knives at that time. Uh, so we licensed out, uh, oh, I, I can't even remember how many designs, a lot of designs uh, to them and a couple of other folks. Uh, uh, Smith and Wesson knives had some of them. That was through a third party. Uh, their their HRT line. I designed all that uh, back in those days. Uh, Camillus, the Mad Max, the um, Dominator, the Dominator knife that you have right there first came out in the year two thousand and one. There was only a hundred of them made. They were titanium, and I never resurfaced with that knife. I think until uh, two thousand and nine. 
Wow. That's when cool. I brought it back out. I let them mess with it. You know, there was, it was an iconic knife. People bought it. It was had an uh, uh, assisted opening at that time was huge. So they only had like a hundred or 200 they made. And then at that time they sold out and everything, um, uh, they sold that company and Schrade. The, co- the owners of both of those were family, and they sold all that out at, in, I think, 2001, 2002, something like that. And uh, I went on to design for several other people. I still design for Camillus, the new Camillus Cutlery today, the people that bought it. I have several knives. Uh, that, the Dominator is one of them. They have a little – there's one of them right here. Actually, a little Camillus knife that uh, – Oh, Wow. Sure, I recognize that blade shape. Yeah, it's it's in Walmart actually. They they want they make Walmart knives pretty. So they wanted me to, to I've I've had several knives with them in Walmart. Believe it or not, people in Walmart love these knives, and I don't know why. I'm blessed. Let's just put it that way. But it's amazing. They I guess they recognize that um, the knives have some kind of an appeal, and I, I've been very lucky in that respect. Uh, the big Mad Max knife that I started with, the, the, that was a big hit. That knife was a hit for a long, long legendary knife. Still get people who want to buy one every day, you know, and I just don't make them. But the knife that I'm on right now is the Expendables knife. Yeah, I saw um, that on your website. First Expendable, yeah, first Expendables movie. I got lucky. They picked Stallone, let Jason Statham pick the knife he wanted to use in that scene, and he picked my knife out of his collection room. I, it was it was like it was like a godsend, you know, like like fate, you know. But that knife is very very popular. We're we're selling uh, quite a few of those. You uh, sure are. That's awesome. My butterfly knives in the year two thousand. I brought out a butterfly knife on a forum in Blade Forums, and there was a Chuck. Uh, I can't remember his last name. Right that right off the tip of my tongue, but. Uh, we sold a couple of hundred handmade titanium butterfly knives, which was unheard of. People were freaking out. You mean you can get a custom butterfly knife? Yeah. And so we sold probably a couple hundred of them on that forum in that first realm. And then I've been making those since then. I'm actually getting ready to bring out another new one. Uh, we just went back over the one that I made on that forum. I brought it back out as a reissue uh, with better tolerances, better steel. You know, Cold Steel picked that knife up, actually, and called it the Archangel. And yep. they sold quite a few of them. Uh, I actually made the handles in my shop in Galena, Ohio, for that project, for Camillus. That's awesome. So it's, it's pretty cool. I, 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 basically, it, most of this stuff that I'm telling you has been doing, going on and on and on since, you know, and I'm still doing the same thing, sitting here every day doing the same thing. And we've got product review this week with Walmart for some other knives. You know, I've come out with several other things that are not public, uh, and they're going after those. I mean, it's awesome. that's good for business for everybody. And uh it's nice, in my opinion, to be able to have knives that everybody can use every in every facet of the economic chain. Yep. That makes me, I, I'm very, I don't, I try not to be a proud man because I know that's not correct, but I'm very happy about that. You know, that there's a lot of folks walking around with one of my knives in their, in their pocket and they actually use it every day. That's great. That's awesome. I mean, it makes me a happy guy. Right now, if you want to know what we're doing caveman style, we're getting ready to do um, bushcraft 
videos on my YouTube channel uh, where we're using all kinds of products and we're going to review them all. I'm going to start teaching uh, how-to videos uh, for knife making, sharpening, uh, and design. And then we're going to do bushcraft with the fellow that is my shop supervisor is a, um, well, he sleeps in the wood most of the time. That's crazy. <laughs> he sleeps so outside. How many, how, many, how many people are in your company? Right now, I've only got, uh, there's four of us. And uh, I was up to about 15 when I was in Texas. Yeah. Uh, and we, I decided that it was, you know, I had some choices to make. The economic uh, temperature in Texas changed uh, when Toyota moved to Dallas out of yeah. California. Yeah. The land prices where I lived went from 7,000 bucks an acre to 30,000. I was going to build a facility on a piece of land, and that would be, you know, basically where I would land probably for the rest of my days. But it got to be where it was economically not feasible. I couldn't buy even dirt ground on a farm dirt ground for $30,000 for one acre. No electric, no nothing there. All utilities would have been brought in. Probably cost about another thirty, forty thousand just to get utilities. Not worth it. That the it's not a good investment for me. Sure. It's not. So uh, we did some research up here, and we found this place we're in now, and um, very happy here. It's it was perfect. Uh, there was a business in here. Uh, a man owned a well business where he had well pumps, and uh, that's all he did around here. He's out in the country. We're out in the hills. We're in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, uh, and I live on a mountain. It's cut in the, into a mountain into rock. And there's a shop up the hill, and then we have our little house down here. And they built that in 1964, and we come in and we refurbed everything, gutted it, started over. Same with the shop. The shop was in good structural uh, 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 health, and we had to gut it, though, and make a – well, we made it all white inside, like an Apple factory or something, like a computer factory. And it's CNC. We got our grind room. We got our EDM room. We have our build room. And, you know, we're doing very happy there now. So I've downsized my company, and I've done that for a reason. I believe the economic times, I did it just in time for COVID, believe it or not. <laughs> wow. So when COVID hit, I had been here two months, which wow. was okay because we were building anyway. And I had folks here that didn't – we kind of – went around those regulations, you know, and did what we wanted to. We're kind of out here. We're kind of like, yeah, we don't follow all the real rules of. Uh, Amen, man. Land of the free and the home of the brave. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. That's, Absolutely. Uh, man's got to be free. It's slaves who follow orders. Free men don't. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're not that way around here. They, you know, they just kind of, they, they, they have their own drum and they walk to it, you know. Amen. So, um, how many knives are you building and selling out of your own shop this year versus, you know, I know you've, you've got a lot that you you've designed and you sell through Camillus as well, but how many do you guys make? We, we turn out about two to three knives a week in like an AXD knife, uh, the uh, expendables. But the thing that you can't see is, is in that background, we had a lot of things to do before we got to that point where we could turn them out. Uh, we were we also build butterfly knives, dominators, and AOD, AOD knives. But about two to three custom knives a week is the best we can possibly do with the way that we're set up now. 
and that's with four people. So, you know, you that's consider a this a custom, or is this like like a like a semi-custom or production? Uh, one of our mid-tech knives for, from a long time ago. That was called a, a, a Dominator thirty-five. Dominator thirty-five. Right? Are you still making these as well? We don't make that anymore, but we have a Dominator three-inch coming out. We call that a 35 because the blade was three and a half inches long. Three and a half inches, yeah, yeah. The regular one is 3.65. And I then the one we have coming out, I had a lot of requests for people with one under three inches because of carry laws in states, things like that. And also, they wanted a little more room in their pocket. They just wanted a really good uh, folding knife to carry around with them every day. So uh, we're coming out with a Dominator 3. Uh, it'll be done before Christmas. We'll you know, start sending them out uh, this Cause, year. Because I got to believe you guys will, whatever you make, you're going to sell and then some, right? Because it's... it's we, we, we hope so, you know. Yeah. We're, we're blessed in some, some manners, but we hope that's the plan, you know. Because like I'm in the last six to 12 months with a lot of knife companies, they're, they're running out of knives. Like... Um, I'm friends yes. with Curtis Iavito from Spartan Blades, and I, and I like yeah. some of their knives. They make some really good fixed blades that I really love, and they do a lot of work with Bill Harsey as well. And you can't yeah, Bill's Bill's those are good people, you know. They've yeah. been around a long time. Yeah, exactly. Not they long, can't keep knives in stock. Time. Like they just can't keep them in right. stock. Like whatever they make just flies off the shelves. It's crazy. We're actually building knives from our orders in February right now. So February of this year. So, we're you know, that's like, it's October, man. That's, that's crazy. Well, we can only build them so fast. And yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, the one thing that I have, I've learned, believe it or not, one of the best teachers in the world is Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. yeah. He has a word, standards. I don't care about how many go out there. I care about the ones that do go out. They've got to yeah. have standards. standards. No standards. You have nothing. You won't last. The only way you last in any business is with standards. Well, and I, I refuse. You know, we're only so many people. We're going to send them out one way, and that is correct. If they're not correct, they're not going to. Amen. Amen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you, you got to have people who can build these. What, what you're building is not, you know, the Joker knives that, that get sold for 30 bucks. You're building like a serious, serious blade. And, and that used to build machinery to, for, uh, for uh, like Kroger bakeries. Okay. They had yeah. machinery that they would go and make fig bars with. And we would design and build those machines. They're easier to, for me to build those machines than it is to build a knife. Knives are very hard to build. They've got to be all of the tolerances from the holes to the pivot. Uh, distances have to be correct. If they're not, your blade's off center. This is off center. There's all kinds of little tweaks in there that have to be correct. And it's easier to build them. It is the, almost to build a die set, uh, really seriously. That's Dies are that close. If they're not right, they don't work, period. That's it. Knives are like that, too. To me, a knife that has a blade that's off center is not working. That's not a good knife. I want no, a blade no. center. I want them sharp. Uh, we're, oh, by the way, we're going to be doing sharpening videos, too. I'm a sharp freak off, off screen. I, I've got stones all the way to 10,000, and I'm got, I, some people think that's uh, light grit, but, you know, the razor guys, them guys. But uh, for a knife guys, you know, a 1,000 grits, high and I, i'm going to be doing videos on how to sharpen your knives uh i love it that kind of thing uh, i just love a sharp knife i use kitchen knives every day 
my uh, my wife is a great lady, but when we got married, one of the big deals was she didn't want to cook anymore. So I, I like cooking, so I go and I cook every day for her and for me and myself. Good for you. I want to come back to what you talked, what you said about standards, right? Because yeah. in the work of men that we do, we we believe in standards and we define standards in a very particular way. It may not be the way that you define it. But inside our community of men, we call a standard a minimum acceptable behavior in a community Absolutely. of men and agreed upon. I, let me let me let me let, let me correct myself. An agreed upon minimum acceptable standard of behavior. So for something to be a standard in our men's organization, right, the men have to agree to that standard. If it's not unanimous, it's not a standard. But once it's a standard, Daryl. Every man has to abide by it. So, for example, I'm, I'm teaching a program now called the Battle Ready Program, and there are seven men who, have, uh, who, who I'm responsible for teaching, and I've got two men on my leadership team. And one of our standards is that we're five minutes early for every meeting. And this was our fifth Absolutely. meeting out of eight. And this is the first time that every man was five minutes early. At the other meetings, there were some men that forgot. And they were like a minute early, two minutes early. And we said, you broke the standard. And they're like, oh, crap. Because <laughs> if you break a standard, you do 30 push-ups. Every time you break the standard, you do 30 push-ups. There you go. On time is late. On time Early's is late. Early is yeah. on time. Everything yeah. else is late. Early's on time. Everything else is late. I have to – I practice that because – I used to be the guy that, well, you know, I'll get to that. And, 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 and you know, it's always like five minutes late or something. You know, that's disrespectful. Totally. It is disrespectful when you're late. Just like I set up for this meeting 15 minutes early, had it all ready and everything. We just kind of didn't communicate. Yeah, right we on just were line. on the wrong Zoom. <laughs> my mic was ready. My camera's ready. Everything's ready because 15 minutes early is on time. Yeah. To me, yeah. anyway. No, and listen, I was early as well. I wasn't 15 minutes early because I, I had a, another um, another appointment beforehand that I knew wasn't going to be over by that time. But I was definitely five minutes early, and uh, it was it was good to be early. And I'm sorry about the mix-up on the communication around the Zoom link. I'll, I'll, no, I take ownership okay, for that. Okay. I was ready. I didn't want you to th yeah. dis think I was just No, no, I, I, I realize you were ready. But, I mean, on my end, I'm, 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 I'm owning that the communication wasn't impeccable. So – one of the other standards we have in our group is that um, uh, man's got to be in a meeting without distractions. So he can't be doing one of these with a cell phone the entire meeting. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, Daryl, um, I really like what you said about standards. And there is a, an important point that I think um, every man needs to understand. When it comes to being a man, it's important to be sovereign. So we call our movement the Sovereign Man Movement. That's that's kind of our logo. You know, nice. it's on the shirt as well and all that good stuff. You know, we got a website and all that. And we say that for a man to be sovereign, that means he's self-sufficient. That means he can pay his bills. So I, I need the government to take care of him. You know what I'm saying? That means he can think for himself. He doesn't need the government telling him what's good for him and what isn't good for him. He can think for himself. That means he's spiritually self-sufficient, i.e. he's got a good relationship with his God. That means that he's physically self-sufficient, i.e. he can take care of himself. He doesn't need 
Um, you know, he, he, he wants his woman around. He doesn't need her around for anything, but he wants her around. Uh, and that means that he's um, also emotionally self-sufficient and that he doesn't need people around just to feel good about himself. So that type of man, in my view, is a Daryl Ralph type of a man. The type oh, of well, man. You. Yeah, you, you, you're welcome. But that, that type try, of man. I try my best in my life to hopefully my children pick up on it. They are basically picking up on it. They're, they're all sufficient and doing what they're supposed to do. And they kind of understand me that, you know, I'm just that guy, you know? Yeah. I don't. Yeah, 100%. And to me, one of the reasons I'm so much of an avid knife collector is because to me, this is the ultimate man's tool. And it's also the oldest man's tool. And I'd love to hear your take on what makes this such a valuable tool for men and how this ties in to a man being a man's man, a masculine man. You, if you had one thing that you could carry with you every day that would help you in most every situation, it would be your knife. Many people carry knives, uh, at least in this part of the country. Uh, they do that for a reason, because we work every day on something where we find a function or a form or some reason to use that knife. And, that, and, and when you stop and think about it, the men that actually you know that can that are self-sufficient and sovereign and men that are able to do just about anything if it's not even a razor knife like you buy for a buck to open your stuff in the in your shop or out in your garage or whatever you've got one it doesn't have to look like that one but you've got one it can be any of them you've got to have a sharp tool to do your work every day you're a man my wife has four pair of scissors same thing it's a cutting instrument they didn't make them then but i'm sure that the women had knives at that time too when there wasn't any scissors it's a tool that we have to use as part of our daily life it really is when you stop and think about it and if you're not using one then you've got somebody that works for you who does is the way i look at it I mean, there's other ways of being sovereign. Just because you don't carry it, you may have somebody that takes care of that for you. They, it could be your gardener. It could be your mechanic. It could be, it could be uh, a guy in a, uh, a factory somewhere that makes a product that you use. You, when you buy a product, somebody down that line somewhere is using a knife to help make it because it's part of their daily routine. It really is. A knife is part of your daily routine. We're still endowed to it. What are we going to change out besides maybe uh, a laser that cuts stuff? Still a knife. It's cutting. I mean, down the road, that might be the way it works. But this is where man started. He started by taking stones and, and he chipped them into an instrument that he could cut with. He, he, he gathered his food with it. He, he used it every day to prepare his food, to take care of his hides and all the things that they had in those days that they had to take care of. But it was a knife. Even if he made it himself out of a rock, it was a way to cut something or anything that he needed done. Wood, making spears, making everything. Indians, everybody in the world, cavemen. It started with the cavemen. They had 
ways. They figured out a way to get things done. And the knife was one of the first instruments that they designed because they had to cut stuff. All kinds of things every day. And that's the way I've always thought about the knives. I mean, like I said, I love the collectibles. Don't get me wrong. I think they're, I made a sword that cost 80 grand. Whoa. For the Sultan of Brunei called the Michael sword. You have a picture of that thing? Yes, I do. I'll send them to you. I'd love uh, to see them. Wow. Forged it in 1996. It was all hand forged. It had four pounds of uh, 18 karat gold that I mixed myself and cast with the angels, all the stuff on it. I'll send it to you. Um, it was commissioned by the Sultan of Brunei. That's, a, that's one wealthy individual. And wealthy, very. But that sword, probably when he got four Ferraris that day, that sword was just like, us, oh, a toothpick, you know? <laughs> but I, it, it's... It, it's, uh, it runs the gamut. It just depends on who you are and what you can afford, basically. But every man in the world just about buys some kind of a knife, sword, instrument to work with every day or something that evolved from the knife. And that's true. It really is. When you stop and really do an analytical uh, vision of it, think about what happened in those days, how people lived. They had to live that way. And it's yeah. still that way today, believe it or not. I mean, it every is. day. It you is. have to. Like you said, you were a sovereign man. We can take care of ourselves. Well, you've got to be able to have the tools to take care of yourself. Yeah. And a knife is one of those tools, period. It is. It's it got is. its own category does i agree i agree uh, that was really well said thank you for that uh very thank thoughtful you. and detailed explanation well i'm glad we got that out of the way there now we know where we're headed <laughs> <laughs> well i'm curious about that eighty thousand dollar sword that you built for the sultan in brunei because that's a collector piece but for someone like the Sultan of Brunei, he might decide to use it on something too, you know? Yes, it was usable. Like I wow. said, I don't make anything. I have never made a knife in my lifetime that I was not function first. So you got to tell me the story. How'd you get the Sultan of Brunei to, to, to say, Daryl Ralph, I want you to make me this sword? Well, it was kind of like having the knife in the Expendables movie. Somewhere... I believe in kismet. I believe in uh, spiritual intervention. I believe in waves in the air that people pick up. I believe in, uh, I believe in my God. I believe that there is higher beings or higher thoughts that go on all the time. Uh, there was a fellow, his name was Hugh Bartrug. If you look him up, he used to forge in and make some of the craziest collectible items you ever can imagine in the knife realm back in the 90s. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's see. I was friends with Hugh. He lived in West Virginia. I lived in Ohio. Uh, I would see him at all the shows, and him and I would sit around and talk all the time. He was a, he was a great man. You know, he taught me a lot of things. Uh, a lot of the practices that he, he taught me, I still use today. And <coughs> Excuse me. He uh, had a stroke. 
And the Saltner Bernai had commissioned him to make a Michael's sword, which is a story of the Archangel Michael casting the devil to hell. Hugh had a stroke. He called me up. He couldn't forge anymore. He couldn't make knives anymore. He's in a wheelchair. He called me up and said, Daryl, I've got a sword, and you're the only fellow that I trust to make it. Do you want to do it? And I said, what is it, you? And he told me. And I said, okay, send me the plans. He sent me the plans that he had. Um, I followed them and put my own things and twists in there. But to make a long story short, uh, it was one of those deals where there was, like, spiritual intervention. He chose me to make it, and I did it. Um, Stallone told him to pick the knife out of his room, his collectibles room, and he picked my knife. I mean, it's weird. You know, I, it's I, uh, kismet. I don't know what else to call it, you know. But And I, I made that sword, and it was, it's been around. There's people. If somebody has it now. I don't, Mike, I think Mike uh, um, Talanian has that sword, I think. The last I heard, he's in Florida. He's a collector in Florida. Uh, he has that sword, I believe. Wow. And his price on it is uh, unobtainable. <laughs> he won't sell it. So it, uh, it's crazy. Um, wow. It was just one of those things. Um, I've had knives in movies, and, and I didn't even – I don't solicit Hollywood to put movie knives in. They go into movies, and I don't even know they go there. Butterfly Knife, Angela Jolie – uh, Aerosmith, all the Aerosmith guys, I've got pictures of them on the wall here that they've got all my knives holding them up. Steven Tyler is on, uh, was that, Merrick's Got Talent when he yeah. was on that show? He took one of my, the, the Expendables knife out on that, in front of the TV camera, flipped it up, and was sitting there holding it. Love it. Joe Perry was on one of Rachel Ray's TV shows, and he flips out my knife. This is a Daryl Ralph. It's a big, long knife that I made for him, a, a big flipper. And he sat there, cut up stuff on the show with my knife. I, I didn't it. ask for any of that. It just happens. It happened by itself. I love it. And love I'm it. blessed. Yeah, it's great yeah. stories, man. It's stuff for the book because... You can't, I don't think you could ask for anything like that. Then it would happen unless you're connected with some guy or something. But, uh, you know, I almost think it's spiritual intervention or some type. I really do. And that it was is. a Mad Max knife that Joe Perry had. It was on Rachel Ray's uh, something or other, uh, her first show. He was on tour uh, and she was, at, she went out to the tour bus is what it was. And they were cooking grilling stuff and he's out there cutting stuff on there this is a daryl ralph and it was on tv i'm like wow had an article in the new york times too believe it or not that's, that's pretty cool away too. <laughs> that's pretty that cool. was years and years ago and playboy is in playboy magazine <laughs> i didn't ask for any of it crazy that's awesome so life's been good it it's, certainly sounds that way um, that's a hell of a story of how you got to make that sword. Uh, I really it like is that. Crazy. It's a great story. It's a great story. And what you said about what a knife means to a man, I think is spot on. Because men primarily are task-driven. 
even in this day and age where they're trying to um, make a lot of men forget what being a man's all about, they can't beat out of men that they're task driven. And knives are very useful, as you put it, for accomplishing a whole variety of tasks. And that's why I think every man's got to have a knife. Every man must have a knife. Frankly, I think every woman should have a knife. Tell you a story about my, my, my fabulous girlfriend. So I bought her a knife. I bought her a, a Mel Pardue designed Benchmade Griptilian. And, you know, it's a nice, small, tiny lady sized knife. And she says, why'd you buy me a knife? I said, ah, you never know when you could use it. She goes, all right, all right, all right. So one day she went shopping with her little niece, who at the time was, I think, 16 or 17. And her niece was trying on some dresses and she was out there just browsing. And then she got a call on her cell phone. It was her niece. And she says, Aunt Teresa, Aunt Teresa. She says, yeah, what? She says, do you, do you have your knife? She goes, yeah, I got my knife. She says, I need you to cut me out of my dress. I'm stuck in it and the zipper stuck. <laughs> and so she went in there and she used that knife and she cut her out of the dress. And that's when she said, wow. knives are useful. I'm like, if my girly feminine girlfriend... <laughs> could find a use for a knife pretty much anybody can that's fantastic yeah it really is it's a, it? it's a good story it's a good story so does she carry it with her every day i you know i don't know if she does but i think she carries it with her quite often and in her in her vehicle uh she's got a cold steel spetsnaz shovel you know the one with the edges sharpened uh, yeah you know, you never know when something like that might come in handy. And that's, that's there in her vehicle every day. And, and I think it's a good thing that she's got tools like that available to her that she can use for things like home defense and uh, cutting her niece out of a dress. And I just think every that's man awesome. ought to have that, right? Every man, like beauty about this knife is this knife is totally a functional knife. I mean, it's a beast in my hand. It feels so good. I love the way scales feel in my hand you know i love the jimping over here my thumb fits on it really nice i got good purchase grip on it i could do all sorts of things with this knife and i love the design you know you got the u.s flag here made in the usa and i read somewhere that you got all 50 stars in the flag on this little flag i mean that's pretty crazy you know, that's look yeah if you want to count them let me know <laughs> the little ones in there i tried to get every one of them in there not make that's it amazing that just, uh, that's amazing you know, that you uh, did that that's an attention to detail that i think every man can learn from every man you know needs to learn how to be his best self and the way to be your best self is commit to impeccability and daryl ralph what impresses me about you even before we met was how impeccable you are in the in the execution of the creation of this knife. You were impeccable. It was beautiful. It is beautiful. The handle's gorgeous. You know, green anodization, really nice. Titanium scales feel great in the hand. But I'll tell you, the stars in the flag, all 50 of them, show me that you're a man who cares about getting everything, every detail right. And this beautiful blade, this is such a utilizable blade. There's so many people over the years that have copied a version of the design of this blade, which just speaks to the genius of Daryl Ralph in creating such a fantastic knife. And it, I wanted to meet you and I wanted to have this conversation because to me, when I get to meet a man who's 
attention to detail and impeccability is as high as yours, that elevates my own standards. Just that I got to spend time with you because I believe in the law of proximity. My mom and dad taught me who you hang around with matters. And Tony Robbins taught me about the specific wording of the law of proximity, which is people you become who you associate with. And to me, associating with men like you, because I'm a knife collector, is a good thing. I get to know you. I, I, I bought a knife uh, for uh, that, that you built, and now I got to know you. I'll, I'm going to look at actually purchasing some knives directly from you because I bought this from one of your dealers in Canada. And you shared with me your wisdom on knife making and, and, and on how to be the type of man that could build something this magnificent. And for well, that, I thank you. It's an honor. It really is. Your words are honorable. Thank you. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And I let's everything. You can't, you know, you're only as good as the last thing you did. So <laughs> yeah. Amen. Amen. So let's let's wrap things up um, by having a talk about freedom. Because to me, we're living in a time where freedom is under assault from governments in the West all over the place. And nothing is more valuable than freedom, in my opinion. And I want to give courage to every man to be able to speak up, to not have their voices silenced, to be able to say what they believe, to be able to give glory and honor to God Almighty for giving us a great nation like the United States, a great nation like Canada, where men and women can be free to build the life that they choose and to speak their opinion whenever they want without fear of being silenced or canceled. And to me, that's very important. And I want to know what your thoughts were on that. Um, I think it's become obvious over the last five, eight years that Every man don't matter like we used to. Um, we don't have the same voice. Number one, we're being taken over. We're taken over by people that. Uh, uh, and when you stop and think about this, um, years ago the the show called The Matrix, yep. came out. And uh, when you stop and think about that, if that's not a higher thinking version of the way we're living now, I don't know what else is. We're here for food. We go out and work every day and pay our taxes. Without those ta that tax money, they can't do the evil things that they do. I, I believe that the government is full of evil now. I really yes. do. I think it's been taken over by third worlds, and the uh, Eastern community uh, has taken over part of our uh, our our country. Uh, we allowed that back, started back in the 70s and 80s. We allowed those to infiltrate our country. And when they did that, uh, they have a plan. Their plan is, is to make us like them. I don't know why they want us to be like them when they want our country. Why do they want our country? What, what's the big deal? If we're such a bad country, why are they all coming here? I don't get it. Why are they trying to steal what we have? I don't get it. We were created, this country was created by men and women and women and men who had the vision of what freedom was. That's why we're creative. That's why we outdo everybody in creativity. Amen. We blow it all away. 
They copy everything we do. Why do you think that is? Because they don't have that gene. That gene is not born into people. It, it may be born into people, but you've got to stimulate that gene. So the only way you stimulate that gene is, is people have got to be, have a reason to use it. Freedom is one of the reasons you use it. Being oppressed is not creative. They've, that's been proven all over the world for hundreds and hundreds of years. When you're oppressive to your people, they don't do nothing. It's sit around and complain and find, try to find a way out of it. Here we are. We've been here for uh, several hundred years. And since the beginning of time, we've been creative. The Industrial Revolution created here was created here. The automobiles were all created about the same time, some across the world too. But they were all created at the same time. Those ideas came from men who were creative and had creative thought because they were not oppressed. Amen. And that's what I think about freedom. Also, being a patriot is, is a very good thing. I think we should all stand up for our country. Not If you've got to complain, I get that. Hey, well, you, you know, your life is about a 65% satisfaction, 35% of it. You know, you, you don't really want to do, but you've got to do it. It's part of being free. That's the payment for freedom. For freedom, there's a payment, and that's at 35%. But the 65%, we've got to keep on track or we're going to have a problem. And I live out here where the people I live out here with, we pretty much all 65 percenters. You know, we don't we don't believe in the upheaval that's been going on in our in our country over the last, uh, uh, you know, five to eight years. I believe there's evil forces that are involved in that. And all they want is they want us. They've got to set up to where we fall and they make a monetary gain. Pretty much. They also want to eliminate parts of the world populations uh I, I just it just blows my mind that they are that evil and i call that evil because that's not god's plan not my god no anyway. no it's not it his not. plan it's not the plan that you go around and eliminate whole societies that don't work no sir it but does not that's that's the way i look at it um i live my life the way i want to and i i try to as 65 percent of the time there's always that payment, though. <laughs> you got to pay. You got to pay. Government's no been around you. forever, you know, uh, been around forever. And I kind of get it. We've got to have some kind of structure, somebody running we the do. boat. But the people that are running the boat right now, I just, not my kind of people. Uh, I believe they've done more harm to our society than ever done any good. I agree with that 100%. And the point I want to I want to make is that freedom isn't free. The great Ronald Reagan once said that it's a very fragile thing and it's only one generation away from extinction. You need to teach the next generation why it's valuable, why it matters, and remind them that it's a very fragile thing that can disappear at any moment. And it's up to men to stand up for freedom. And right now, um, just uh, it, it blows me away. The guy that was in there before was he stood up for people and people didn't want stood up for. They want to sit on the couch and watch TV. You know, I just don't get it. How do they think that there's people out there that work every day that have to take care of those people? They think everything's free. Give it to me. It's not free. you got to work to get what you want. Amen. That's all there is to it. And everything Amen. is available. As all you got to do is go get it. Amen. Amen. And uh, Daryl Ralph, on that note, I'm going to say thank you for 
joining me today. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with me about the importance of knives in a man's life, really in any person's life. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on freedom with me. Um, because I agree with you that right now there's folks that don't want us to be free. And it's important for all men and women that believe as we believe to stand up and push back. And thank you for sharing your story of how you got into knife making, because I got oh, to meet good, a man. Man. A man. That's awesome, man. That's what, what yeah. a good idea that is. Thank you. That's thank a you. fantastic idea, Nick. Really. I is. appreciate it, man. I appreciate <laughs> you having me on. It's a great honor. It really is. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. And we'll, uh, we'll catch you again. All right. Thanks again for coming on the show. And, you know, I'm looking forward to buying some more Daryl Ralph knives. Have a great one. Put your YouTube channel up on there. So we know where to go find you. Well, you know, um, you can find me easily on podcasts. I mean, the sovereign man podcast is, is on YouTube, but it's also on iTunes and Stitcher and everywhere, you know, any, any of the platforms that are on podcasts, we're definitely there. And, uh, I'm on Instagram and, uh, I'm on Facebook and all that good stuff too. I'm on, I'm on the, the social media channels that, that are free speech channels like telegram and rumble too. So those are all good. Let's make sure that we, uh, we, uh, have people come find me over there, man, but I'm, I'm excited to have had this conversation with you. I'm looking forward to, uh, having you back on uh, at a future date. I'm looking forward to my next Daryl Ralph knife. Cheers, my brother. Thank you very much, man. My Have pleasure. a good one, Nick. You too. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Man Podcast. If you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be, we invite you to join the movement at SovereignMan.ca.